Yo, this is Pastor Tito here, and this is the Revolutionary Podcast. excited that you have joined us here today as we are going to continue looking at a very revolutionary principle that is in God's word that is so important for every believer. It is timeless because it's Old Testament and new, and we're going to see it in the early church today. Today we are going to look at a progress report. All right, the Luke, the author of the book of Acts, writes a ton of progress reports throughout the book. And he kind of gives these moments and pauses. And every time there's a progress report, years have happened. And so we get to see these anchors all throughout the book. And so we're going to read a progress report today. Um, Hopefully I didn't uh, uh, trigger anybody when it comes to progress reports because some of y'all love progress reports because y'all get good grades. Everybody who who loves to get those, right? You get the progress report, you're ready to show off and you show to your mama, right? Show to like, look what I got. Look what I got today, right? Yo, in the house, we got two brand new uh, national and junior national honor society members in the Camachos over there. So you say, now, hey, I'll hype you up. Tell me, mama and daddy, I'll hype them kids up too. All right, you tell, talk to me. I'll let them know. All right, do that. But so some of us, we love to get the report cards, but some of us, all right, anybody was uh, the one that you hit it, you, you looked for it in the mail before it got there, before there was such a thing called internet and access, right? I know of a story of somebody in this room that changed their grades before, and so we're not going to go there today. But, uh, but right, we all got, you know, progress reports are, are important, right? You need them because it helps us to know how are, how are we doing, right? That's what a progress report is. Uh, we, we like to track different things, right? If you have a financial goal, right, you should have a progress report. Like, where am I? Am I getting close to my goal? If I have a health goal, we do that. You know, some reports we're afraid of, maybe, uh, you know, like health reports sometimes. For the older you get, that annual physical gets a little... It's a little scary, I guess, right? I'm like, oh, I don't know what's going to happen today. My pass or fail, right? I don't know. And so, but progress reports are important. So we're going to look at uh, the church's progress report. In fact, it's the third one that we, I believe it's the third one that we've seen. And uh, normally we've been really climbing and uh, like crossing over a lot of different verses. But today we are only going to do one. And we're going to look at this progress report of the church. And in the progress report is a major theme that actually is repeated all throughout the Old Testament. You see it from Genesis all the way through Revelation. It is repeated constantly and constantly and constantly. And that theme is called the fear of the Lord. So we're going to look at the church's progress report and focus on that one thing today. So like I said, we only got one Bible verse, so we're going to put it up for everybody. It is uh, Acts 9:31. So read it along uh, to yourselves. I'm going to read it here. And so let's read it together. So the church throughout all of, notice the three areas, Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, they had what? Peace. And they were what? Strengthened. Why? Here is the key. That's why I highlighted it. Why did they have peace in their lives? And why were they strengthened? Because they lived in the fear of the Lord. And they were encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in number. And so because the church lived in the fear of the Lord, they were encouraged by the Holy Spirit. How were they encouraged by the Holy Spirit? Through peace and strength. And what was the result? They increased in number. So this progress report is so cool because up until now, if you haven't been tracking with us, up until now, years have gone by. 
All right, maybe some estimate, uh, some estimate maybe closer to, I don't know, maybe like uh, six to 10 years since the ascension, since Jesus left, maybe a little bit earlier, uh, a little bit more than that. And so look how the church is doing. And so far, we've been looking at what has been happening over the last three to four years in the church, where they were experiencing extreme persecution, right? You had Saul coming down, breathing violence. People were getting arrested, murdered like Stephen. I mean, things were not going well. It was not easy to say, oh, I'm going to go to church today, or I'm going to go worship Jesus today, or hey, I'm a Christian today. Put it in my bio, right? Hashtag blessed. And so, you know, we, don't, we didn't just do that flippantly because they came after you. They came after you. And so what's amazing is, again, this is something that we see called the sovereignty of God. Now, that's a big fancy word, but all sovereignty means is, yo, God can do what he wants, when he wants, how he wants it, and no one's going to stop him. That's what the sovereignty is. Now, what's amazing here is we are seeing that the enemy, the darkness, is trying to overcome the light of the gospel, and they are doing a poor job. Because what started with a dozen people on a hilltop with Jesus has now spread to about 120 in this upper room. And by 120 in an upper room, years later, look what it is. It is all throughout the whole country of Judea, not just in Jerusalem anymore. Galilee was this northern region in there. And Samaria was, again, these were the, we talked about the Samaritans, Jews and Samaritans didn't mix. And here you had something revolutionary happening. The church was breaking all kind of boundaries. The enemy was not stopping them. And God was like, oh, that's cute, right? Literally, like that's called the sovereignty of God. And what's so amazing is that no matter what was happening, man, God was getting the job done. And so, but with it though, I want us to look in this. And, and really the end goal is not even this. I, I want us to see this, this thing right here, which we're going to come back to that later. But it's this right here. Why did God do what he did through them? Well, part of it, it was his sovereignty, but also it was because they were living in the fear of the Lord. And we're going to slow down on that because that can be a phrase that for Christians, listen, there is no bottom to that pool. You can keep swimming and swimming and diving deeper and deeper into the fear of the Lord and you're never going to hit the bottom. So it's a beautiful thing. And for those of us that aren't, this is an interesting topic. Because we just talked about singing into this amazing God, right? And then um, we're supposed to fear the guy too. Like, how am I supposed to be encouraged by the same source that I'm supposed to be afraid of at the same time? That's a little weird. So I get it. So we'll talk about it. So the first thing I want you guys to see is this. To live in the fear of the Lord, we're going to give you three negative examples. To live in the fear of the Lord is not necessarily to be afraid of him. All right? To live in the fear of the Lord is not necessarily to be afraid of him. And I said not necessarily. All right? But there is a difference here. Being afraid is not something that as believers we are called to live in. Now, I will say unnecessarily in this case, there is an asterisk to this, okay? Because nobody, nobody ever received the gospel giggling, all right? Nobody ever received the gospel giggling. Normally when you, if you're a true believer, right? When you had that moment with God and you saw you were a sinner and he was like, uh, you know what? I think uh, oh, if I don't, you know, ask Jesus in my heart, I'm going to go to hell. Go, Heaven sounds cool. <laughs> okay, I'll do it. That uh, sounds fun. No, I mean, those of us that are true believers, we recognize the reason why we said, Lord, save me is because we realize I'm in trouble. I need help. I can't do it. 
All right, have you ever seen like a movie or a, 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 a story, a show where you see somebody like slipping down the side of a mountain and they can't stop themselves, right? And they're just trying to reach out for whatever. You've seen some people do that or they're falling and they're trying to grab to whatever until so that very end they fall over the cliff and the hero reaches out and gets them right at that moment, right? You ever seen one of those? That's it, that's salvation. When we realize we are literally tumbling down a hill called sin and death, we can't stop it, the momentum is too much, and we're literally doing nothing but screaming out, Jesus, save me, and that's when he goes, gotcha, you know, then he gets you, right? That's what salvation is. So there is this hint, when I say afraid, there is this sense of like respect of like, okay, because we realize, yes, you know, God is not just my buddy, he's not just my homeboy, he's not just my savior, my friend, my dad, he's God. God. Not a God, God. So there is this element of, okay, you know? Like we all know it, like in that moment when as a kid, when you know that mom or dad has hit that decimal in their voice, when you know, okay, they're serious now, all right? You know, one of those. It's like that. It's that sense of just, whoo, I know, I know, I just can't step up and just do what I want and confront. No, okay, okay, okay. So there is this sense there, but at the same time, it doesn't mean that we have to be afraid of him. And there's a lot of Christians that I know that we struggle with that. I know I struggle with that a little bit at first because I was immature. I, I didn't know God as well. And I was thinking, well, I got to live a certain way and do something because, um, you know, what, what if he gets mad or what if he's this or what if he's that or what if he just cuts me off and says, ah, right, you know, I'm sick of you. I'm going to pass off your purpose to somebody else. I don't know. So there was a lot going on. And so, but listen, the reason why I bring this up, guys, when we start here is that your opinion of God does matter. It's uh, a A.W. Tozer. I want to say it's A.W. Tozer who said that what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So let me just let you think about that. Your opinion of God is the most important thing about you because what you think of him is gonna cause you to, what? Treat him, act the way that you do, right? I mean, we were just talking about today, like what, what do we do in those moments when Ashley was saying, what do we do in those moments when we're, when we're torn, right? When we're, my spirit is willing, but my flesh is weak, what do we do? Well, if your opinion of God is small, you can be like, oh, he'll be here tomorrow. Okay, God will still be here tomorrow. I mean, you know, if your opinion is small and that's the, the thing is that sometimes our prayers are too small because our opinion of God is too small and it matters what you think of God matters. And so this is important, too, because there's some people that walk around literally no fear of God, even believers where they, you know, I'm just going to do what I want, when I want, how I want. God's, you know, I'm still going to be blessed and God's going to love me. It's like God's going to forgive me. Yo, watch out. You treading on some thin ice. You can't be like that. So there is this important thing there when it comes to our opinion of God and, and learning to fear him, but not be afraid of him. And it's interesting that we sang a song today of the Lord's Prayer. And how does the Lord's Prayer start off? How does it start off? Everybody type it online. See who's the first one to beat it. Our Father starts there. There's a reason why Jesus said when you pray, when you pray, remember who he is. He's your father. And so because he's your father, you know, that gives you this element like a parent, like I can go to him whenever. Like it's a little different. Like if, if I needed something or like let's say my kids, if my kids need something, they know that they can go into my bedroom if they need something. But 
they're not going to go into my neighbor's room, you know, right? Because that's just weird, number one, right? That's weird, number one. Two, they might get the cops called on, right? But why, why can they come to me and not my neighbor? Because I'm their dad, right? I'm their dad. And so it's a little different there. So our opinion of God as father is super important, but you don't want to go too extreme, guys. I'm going to bother somebody. I'm going to step on somebody's toes. I'm sorry. I'm just warning you right now. Listen, to have his, okay, our father, which is important. Yes, my dad. And so many of us, maybe here in America, it's a little different. Some cultures are different where we have this relationship between our parents, like they're more of friends than their parents at first, you know, kind of a weird thing. And, and we don't have that sense of awe and, and respect sometimes for even our own parents. And that's just a cultural thing bigger than America. That's just a, you know, some cultures still do a little better about honoring parents like that, right? But when you think of our father and you don't have that opinion right, you can be off. There's some Christians who quote Paul when he says, God has given us the spirit that cries out to him, Abba, Father. You know what Abba, Father means? Abba, Father is like a term of endearment. And so this is like this, like a little kid when he goes, Dada, or something like that. But then you got some Christians that will go, and they like to pray that way. I'm like, oh, Dada, Jesus, Father, Daddy, Daddy God. Okay? Papacito lindo de mi vida. You know? And so this is why I'm going to bother somebody, because I think, oh, that guy, you do that. I'm not, I don't want to guilt trip you if you do that in private. If you do it in public, someone's going to judge you. I'm just being real. I'm just helping you. I'm just going to help you. It's just weird when you be like, yo, Daddy, I'm like, we get it, but he doesn't. So he's not listening to anything you're doing anymore. So just be careful. I'm just warning you. I'm just warning. I love you. I'm just warning you. Now, does that mean that we can't approach God like that? No. Yes, can we call that we have that intimacy when we call him like dad, like that? Yes. You know, but how did the rest of the Lord's prayer go? Our father, which is in heaven. Hmm hallowed be your name. That's this essence of dad, but with this bowing posture. Dad. Do you see the combo there? So there is this sense of intimacy and love, but you don't lose sight of your God. You see the combo? So there's a nice little mix there. And so that's important. So to live in the fear of God is to not to live afraid of him, not to live afraid of him in that way. Like maybe some of us have grown up living afraid of our parents. Like, oh, if I do the, if I say the wrong thing, you know, my mom pops off. And so God's going to do the same thing. If I do this, my dad goes off and he'll do. So no, no, no. It's not to live afraid of him like that, but you, but you have this sense of awe and respect. You feel me? I'll give you one last one on this when it comes to dads. I know I've been here when you've been in trouble. Have you ever said this? And I'm like, yo, I'm in trouble. Dad can't know. You ever, you ever been one of those? Like mom and dad can't find out, right? I'm in trouble. Mom and dad can't find out. They can't know. That's not what God invites us to. Uh, what Jesus invites us to, the relationship we have with God is this. When it's like, yo, I'm in trouble. My heavenly father needs to know. Because there's no fear there of who, what he thinks of me, because I know he proved it on the cross of who he is, of his love and patience and kindness and goodness. And so, so are we tracking here, guys? So to live in the fear of the Lord is not necessarily to live in fear, like afraid at all times, but it is to have this sense of just fear and awe, wonder, reverence that's still there. All right. So we good on that one? All right, let's go to the next one. To live in the fear of the Lord is also not done when times are good. This one got me when I saw it in this one verse. 
And when you read Acts 9.31, what happened? They had peace and strength. And they lived in the fear of the Lord. This one shook me a little bit. Because when I saw that, I'm like, I noticed what they, what they were doing was the opposite of what we tend to do. Because when do people tend to get serious about their relationship with God? During bad times, right? When they got that negative report, when they got that bad, you know, that they lost that job, when, when their, you know, health is, is on the rocks, when the world is falling apart, when their world is falling apart, that's when we get serious, right? That's when we start praying and going and, and boom. But then when God answers the prayer, when things get a little better, when things are not as difficult, what do we do? We chill out, right? Is it the same intensity, same energy? No. A lot of times it's, whew. But what I noticed here, because when I saw that, it says, all right, they had peace. I needed to know what kind of peace. Was this just an internal peace? You know, because all the persecution was happening around them. Did they have an internal peace that everything was going to be okay, no matter if the... And I came to realize and study, I was like, no, no, no. It was actual peace, peace. During the years of persecution, God actually gave them a pause. It was kind of like halftime. All right, boop, let's take a minute here. So the church actually had a peace from the extreme persecution because A, Saul was the main agitator. And now we talked about last week, Saul got turned. So he's a Christian now. So you don't have anybody running the spearheading, the persecution of the church anymore. So they actually had a time of peace, meaning times were good. But what weren't they doing? They didn't put the, ga- they didn't put the, um, you know, the, the foot off the gas pedal. Even when there was good times, they still lived in the fear of the Lord. Guys, that needs to be an encouragement for us today. Because what matters is this. Look, we're, uh, you know, we're not perfect. And so there's going to be seasons that we may be more intense than not. What we don't want is to be off and on. Y'all feel me on that? Like when it's bad, oh, I'm, I'm at church all the time. I'm in the Bible. I'm doing this. I got my quiet times. I'm, I'm killing it. I'm, I'm serving. I'm volunteering. And when things are good, you know what? I'm really busy right now and I got a lot going on. You know what? And so, no, we don't want to be off and on. If we can get to this place where we're more evening in that out, does, does that make sense? Because of course you're gonna dive in more when things are harder, but you don't want to just drop off. You feel me on that? Because look what they saw, they experienced strength from God. They were encouraged by God, why? Because God was not just a break glass in case of emergency God. They, that's literally, that's what we do, right? We only run to God when break glass in case of emergency, but no. To live in the fear of God, guys, is not just to run to him when we need him. It's to constantly walk with him because we want to. That's it. You walk with him because you want to. In the good, in the bad, in all. It's consistent. That's what it is. This is about a consistent relationship. That's it. And, and I, I think of it in this way because I've, as a pastor, I've had to officiate a lot of weddings. And what's the big highlight sometimes is in the vows, right? When you see each other and they say... You know, uh, I take you to be my waff- uh, waffly, wow, lawfully wedded. See, that, that's my, I'm like trying to create shortcuts there. Lawfully wedded spouse. And then what do they say? They do the extremes, right? To having to hold good times and bad, richer or poorer, right? Health and sickness. I saw one person said, during March Madness, and I was like, oh my gosh, and so that's a little too extra, but that's funny. You know, that guy loved basketball. But what do you do? You make these vows saying, regardless of what's happening, 
I'm with you. Guys, you understand that when you ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, you know that he, he does that. He says, I am yours during all times. I will be with you. I'll never forsake you, no matter what is happening. And our response should be the same. God, that I may follow you in good times and in bad, in, in sickness and in health. When you answer my prayers and when you don't the way I want you to, Lord, I'm going to be faithful to you. See, that's what living in the fear of the Lord is. It's learning to live more consistently and not letting your, listen, you don't want to let your circumstances determine your relationship. That's the thing. We let our circumstances determine the relationship. No, we are going to allow our relationships to speak into the circumstances. That's different. That's the one. That's how we want, that's how we ought to live. And then there was another one here. It was like, to live in the fear of the Lord is not to live constantly afraid of him. It's not to live and doing it during good times. But to live in the fear of the Lord is also not to live in the fear of man. Okay. This is another term that pops up a lot throughout the Bible. Guys, honestly, like the fear of the Lord, if you want a nice little Bible study, just Google the fear of the Lord and watch the dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of verses that pop up. All right. Also type in the fear of man. Because here's the thing, guys, if you're doing one, you're automatically not doing the other. So if you are living in the fear of the Lord more, you are gonna live in the fear of man less. But if you are living according to the fear of man more, you are not living in the fear of the Lord. You're doing that less. So this is the big competition. That's why I wanted to save it for this one. So what is the fear of man? I think you know it. But let's just kind of make sure to remix it. To live in the fear of man is to live for the acceptance and the, the validity and the significance that people give you more than God. That's what living the fear of man is. You, live, you care more about the opinions of people rather than the truth of God. That's living here. To, to live in the fear of man is you constantly are looking for the likes and the loves and the follows and the words and the affirmation. You are dependent on people to fill your empty bucket. That's, but if you're pursuing people, guess what you're not doing? You're, pursuing, you're not pursuing God. Paul himself said, if I am living to please people, I'm not living to please God. If you're pleasing people, you're not pleasing God. But here's the thing, but if you're pleasing God, that means you're gonna displease people. You gotta be willing to deal with that. So which one, because again, when you please one, you're gonna displease the other. When you honor one, you're kinda gonna dishonor the other to a certain extent, you know? But you have to be willing. Which one are you going to live with? Which one are you gonna live with? There's a verse that says a lot, the big theme of the fear of the Lord. Some of you guys know this if you've read it. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Think of this. There's a verse that multiple times it says to live in the fear of the Lord is the beginning. Like you just getting started. You have just awoken and gotten on a path that matters. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Why? Because you stop living for the approval of people and now you're pursuing God instead. And that is going to lead to something. Again, it's the beginning. And so it's the beginning of wisdom, which again leads to knowledge. The strength, the, the fear of the Lord produces strength. The fear of the Lord produces peace. The fear of the Lord produces encouragement. The fear of the Lord produces so much. And it starts because you have chosen. This is why it's the beginning of wisdom, because you've chosen the smartest thing to do in the world. To live for him rather than. To live according to, like you would rather care about the acceptance and the approval and significance that only God can give you rather than allowing people to 
be significant for you. No wonder it says it's the beginning of wisdom because now you're thinking. Now you're smart. But if the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, then what, the fe- what is the fear of man? It's an interesting one, right? If the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, then the fear of man is just the beginning of idiocy. I mean, it's, you're not thinking. You're, you're not, this is not going to end well. You know that in, in the verse, in the Bible, it says that the fear of man is a trap. It's a trap. You guys ever seen traps before? You've seen like, you know, uh, you know like think of a mouse trap, right? I used to play that game. I love that board game, mouse trap, right? You think of mouse trap. What is it? You put a cheese that the, that the, that the you know, mouse wants on the trap and it's drawn to the cheese. And right when it starts nibbling, gah, done, right? That's the fear of man. It puts the cheese out there and says, this is what you need to feel significant. This is what you need to live and matter. This is what you need to have purpose. And once you start nibbling on it, boom, it's a trap. It's a trap that only God can save us from because it leaves us disappointed. Guys, I know I'm not the only one and I know all of us, we've been there. When you've tried to live to impress people and this and that, do you know why it's exhausting? Because it's never enough. It's never enough. No matter what you do, when you try to live for the approval of people, constantly trying to do that, it's never enough. It's exhausting. This is why it's a trap. You end up in a hamster wheel that has no end to it. That's what living in the fear of the Lord, I mean, the living in the fear of man is hopping on a hamster wheel. Well, you got a lot of effort, but you're not going anywhere. You're just more tired and depleted than you were before. That's the fear of man versus the fear of God. And so, guys, I, I just want you to just think of it this way. And I got one more verse to show you. In fact, let me, let me show you the verse now. Let's go to, uh, can we put up 1 John 4, 18? Let me just show you one extra verse today. John, the apostle John, years later in life, had been years since these words that he's experienced, that, you know, the, everything that was happening in Acts, years have gone by, decades have gone by since he's written this. And John now writes in 418, it says, there is no what? Fear in love. Instead, perfect love <clears throat> drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears God is not complete in love. What does that mean? Well, here's what, here's what he's saying, because I think this has a good one, again, when it comes to the fear of God and the fear of man. Because notice that it, this, the, you know, the perfect love is what drives out the fear of man and allows you to truly live for the first time. But what is he saying here? Where the one who fears is not complete. Why? Because fear involves what? Punishment. What he's saying is this. Unbelievers or immature Christians constantly live that, oh, if, if I don't, you know, if, if I didn't have, uh, I missed one day on my, on my Bible reading schedule, so God is like so disappointed in me today. You know, he, I, he had a blessing lined up for me on Saturday, but because I didn't praise him on Friday, there it is, I lost it forever. You know, like when we're constantly feeling like you're living on eggshells with God, that's what it means to live in, in a wrong fear of him. And again, it's only rooted because you don't know him yet. Notice it says the perfect love has not been completed in you. Only immature Christians or non-believers are afraid of the judgment of God. They live in fear of the judgment of God. Immature Christians sometimes will live in the fear of what is God going to do to me now? But see, there's no fear in perfect love. And this love is the love of God. 
There is no fear in the love of God, which I mentioned earlier. And what happens? The perfect love of God, it drives out the fear of what? It drives out the fear of punishment. So God's love for you drives out the fear of punishment, meaning you are not going to, his love for you is just so raw and it is so real to you that you're not wondering, does he still love me today? No. Because you're not. In fact, you realize that the reason why it is perfect love is because Jesus took all of the punishment of our sins on the cross already. So we don't have to live in fear of judgment because we know our judgment is past tense. It already happened. When you're in Christ, judgment is in the past. Your judgment is not in the future. If you're an unbeliever, I'm sorry, I'm here to tell you, your judgment is still yet to come. Your judgment is in the future. It is still ahead of you. But if you're a believer in Christ Jesus and you've asked him to forgive you of your sins because you truly believe he loves you, your judgment is in the past. You're done with it. It's not going to come up again. That's what he gives us. That's what he's offered. And so when you give yourself to the perfect love of God, it drives out the fear of God, the the negative one of God's going to judge me. But it also drives out the fear of man. Because now, I mean, like, I can care what less, I can care what people think of me. I don't need a person to validate me. I don't need people. Guys, do you not see why? Do you not see why in our culture today there is such a fight? It's like you kick a hornet's nest when it comes to the way people identify, with, identify themselves in whatever categories. Why? Because if they have this, they have nothing. Because they need you. They need people. They need the government. Approve me. Validate me. They're seeking in government what only God can give. Is true validity, true significance, true identity. That's not rooted in ourselves, but it's rooted in Him. And when the perfect love of God, it drives out that desire to say, I need to please you. I need to please you, please you. And it is exhausting. Rather than, I'm going to live to please God. And I know how to do that because he said in his word what to do. It's just to love him and love others. That's why Jesus says, my yoke is easy. My yoke is easy. This other thing is exhausting. But to live for the Lord is actually easier than we can think. Because we don't have to live in that fear. And so when you look at this, guys, to live in the fear of man versus to live in the fear of God is this. It's, I, I told you, it's the beginning of idiocy. It does not make sense. You're not thinking if you choose to live in the fear of man to... I care more about what people think versus the truth of God. Because here's what you're doing. You are more willing, you are more willing to please people that don't really like you. You Listen, when you do this, when you live in the fear of man, you are choosing to try to please people that don't really like you. And as a result, you are offending a God that actually loves you. Do you see why to live in the fear of God is wisdom? The beginning. But to live in the fear of man, it's the beginning of idiocy. It is not the same. It's not the same. If you want to go swimming, where would you rather go swimming? In a beautiful, you know, here in Florida, we got all these like natural uh, springs that are just the weather. It's so cool all the time, especially now in the summer, it gets hot. Would you rather go swimming in a pure spring? That literally, I mean, you can drink the water that's coming from the rocks in the ground. It is that pure. Would you rather go swimming in a stream like that or go swimming in your neighborhood sewer? Which one would you rather do? Would you rather go swimming in the natural spring or swim in your neighborhood's filth? That's what it means to live in the fear of man. 
It is to reject the pure love of God. And I'm, I'm just going to swim in my neighbor's filth. That's what it means to live in the fear of man versus living in the fear of God. So it matters, guys. It matters. And so we can see here, we can see why. And Paul, not Paul, Luke, Luke wanted us to make sure as he pauses the narrative to say, all right, it's progress report time. We're at Acts 9:31. Time to give a progress report. How are things going? Guys, look at the difference. For those of us that have been here from day one, Acts 1:8, Jesus says, go into all of the world and tell them who I am. Tell them of the gospel. Tell them of the good news that there's forgiveness of sins. Teach them to do all things. Start in Jerusalem, then go in Judea and then Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Not even a decade later, how's the progress report going? Where are they? They're in all of Judea, they're in Samaria, even Galilee, they're in the northern, and they're about to bust out into, I mean, you know, they're already in 10 years, like nothing. So it's going great, why? Because they learn to what? Live and walk in the fear of the Lord. The early church thrived because they lived in the fear of the Lord. And guys, it means the same for us today. Now, I know, and I'm not going to use this now as a, all right, guys, and so you see what they did? So they lived in the fear of God. They were encouraged by the Holy Spirit, and they grew in numbers. And so you know what we're going to do? We're going to, listen, the church grew in numbers because they could care less about the number necessarily. They were so consumed by the name. They cared about the name of Christ. They cared about the name of Jesus. And because they pursued the name, numbers followed. And the numbers is irrelevant are you willing to live for the Lord and give him his all because it's just for him or because you need the numbers to validate you? You don't need it. So that's what they did. They were so focused on the name and they didn't pursue Jesus so that they can get what they wanted. That's not what happened. Because again, the persecution, by the way, was about to ramp up all over again. So God gave him a pause, a time to rest, to regroup, to regather because the next wave was about to happen and things were about to pop off in a great way. And so sometimes God gives us those moments and we need to make sure that we're living consistently. But guys, in the same way, you and I, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, we all can thrive when we learn to live in the fear of God. Consistently, not to live afraid of him, being, and not living consistently, and not living in the fear of man. No, but when we learn to live in the fear of God, we can thrive in this way, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, so that God can do what he wants to do. So guys, my challenge to you is this, as we're looking at what the fear of God is, I want us to understand it's this, to live in the fear of the Lord is to love the Lord fiercely. Do not confuse fear with love. It is all rooted in that love. Remember what did John say? Perfect love casts out the bad fear, right? But we always have this awe and wonder that God is God. He is king. He is creator. It is he. I heard it once that in heaven, you know, like, uh, have you ever heard in verses like, or anyone's ever told you, like, yo, we're all going to have crowns in heaven, and we're all going to have this in heaven, and we're all going to have that? You ever seen those or read that? Listen, the only one with a crown in heaven is Jesus, because all of the other ones, like us that have crowns, yo, here you go. No, we take our crowns down and put them out. The only one that is constantly wearing his is Jesus, because he deserves it, because he deserves it. All of us, we give it right back to him, because that is who he is. He's our king. He's our God. And so listen, I want you to understand we do this not out of, don't hurt me, you know? We don't live like that in front of the Lord or we don't live in a way just so he can give us what we want. I'm like, all right, thank you. To live in the fear of the Lord is to love him fiercely. It is love. It is rooted. It is this fear that is rooted in love. 
it is one, guys, that, listen, because of, because that there's love there, there is going to be an element of fear. Think of all your relationships right now, the ones that really matter. Maybe it's your marriage, your kids, your best friends. Tell me that the people that you love most, isn't there this tinge of fear at the same time? You know, it's like you're, you're afraid of losing them, right? Or because you love them so much, right? Or you're afraid of hurting them or afraid of disappointing them. Why? Because you love them so much, right? Not because what you're afraid of what they're going to do to you, but it's because it's what? Rooted in love. And so this love of ours should cause us to guard our relationship so that we can grow in our relationship with God. And if I can give you a starting point, because guys, listen, nobody graduates from, the, from an academy called the fear of God. You don't go through a, a three-month course and check up every box. You don't go through an 18-month class. It's not an e-course, not even a, a degree, none of it. You and I don't graduate in the fear of God until we are face-to-face -face with God in eternity. This is something, like I told you, you can, we ought to grow and know. There's no shortcuts when it comes to know God, but there's also no bottom. We can keep knowing and knowing and growing. And so this is why I say this word fears because it's determined. This is not just a fake, flimsy kind of, no, this is real. And so if I can give you a starting place, how can you grow in the fear of God? How can you grow to love him fiercely? How about start here? Why don't you just take him seriously? Grow in that. Because to fear in God is to take him seriously, right? I mean, some of us, if, you're a, if you drive, you drive a different kind of way when you see a state trooper. Why? Because you take him seriously, right? So you're going to drive a little bit differently. Some of you act, some of, you know, depending on where you are, maybe you're out in public, like you're, you're in front of different people. And, and so you act one way in front of because you're, you're taking that moment seriously. How do we grow in the fear of God? Learn to take him seriously. Guys, when you pray, again, remember your opinion of God and everything you do is probably the most important thing about you. So when you pray, what is your attitude towards prayer? Whatever it is, how, ask yourself, how can I be more present when I pray? Am I just kind of checking off, running through the motions and realizing, oh, it's been three minutes, I think I'm good? You know, like when you pray, how present are you when you pray? How, how serious do you take it? Do you, do you actually think of when you pray, God is actually listening? Do you, th that he can hear you? Do you think of it that way? <clears throat> when you open up the word of God right now, when we're listening to God's word, when we're going through all of this stuff, how can, you know, how can I be more present? <clears throat> how can I take it more seriously? Am I just reading, you know, letters on a page? Or do you not see it as the very life, the bread of life, the, the, the breath of heaven that is captured in this form? Do you see it as just a book or his word? So when you live for him, when you do this, when, when you're a part of a church, that's another one. How serious are we when we serve? How serious are we when we love and check on one another? Because it's, it's just really it. Because when, you, when you're serious about something, what are you going to do? You're going to be more in it, right? You're going to be more intentional. You're going to care more. Guys, <coughs> this, is what, this is how we grow in the fear of God, is to learn how can we take this more serious. Listen, my biggest prayer for those of you if you're watching and even here online, if you think, because I, I don't assume. This is maybe it's kind of a weird thing to say. Let me just kind of, let me say the quiet thing out loud that sometimes I think about. This is a true thing. I have to assume every time I stand here, I have to assume that the vast majority of you guys are unsaved. I have to assume that. It's healthy for me to assume that. 
It's healthy for me to assume that I don't care how much Bible you know or this or that or how much you've grown and known. It's healthy for me to assume that because if not, then I could totally just think something, reaffirm something that's not true and then that's your life. So every time, every Sunday, even throughout, notice how much I even talk about Jesus and the importance of it because you never, we never even grow past that idea of being saved and who we like, we all need to either, we don't assume that, but we should be reassured in that. We all should be reassured in that. And so I'm here to tell us, listen, we need to, we take God seriously when we understand that we gotta take sin seriously too. Sin is serious. Sin is serious. As a, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, I'm here to say that. This is serious. This is not just, hey, uh, would you rather have, you know, like if you're gonna go fly in a plane, you wanna ride coach or do you wanna have first class? That's not eternity, okay? There's not a coach and first class. It's in or out. It's in or out. And Jesus took everything so serious and he did everything because of that. And we need to take it serious. And I pray that you may understand and see that, that this is more than just, you know, oh, a list of things to not to do and do and fun. And no, this is bigger than that. And, if, and that's why I encourage you to give your life to Jesus and ask, Lord, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Some of you know, remember that, that free falling, maybe that's you and, and you've hit your head so many times, you're probably just numb to it by now. You're probably just numb to it when, you, when you're sliding down and you know you can't fix it, you can only manage it. Like, is that what you wanna do? Like just manage your issues or do you wanna be set free by it? And only Christ can do that. At best you can do is manage it, but in reality it ends up managing you. But Jesus offers you so much better. And so when you call on his name and say, Lord, save me because I can't fix me. I can't fix me, not even me. He will and does. And then as believers though, that's just the beginning. That's just the beginning. We ought to again grow and take sin seriously as well. Take our apathy seriously to know that this, this disconnects me or this draws me farther away from God. And so we are learning to live more consistently. Again, never perfect. You and I can't be sinless, but in Christ we can learn to sin less. It's different because we choose to, it's like, no, I don't want to do this anymore because I love you and your love for me matters and fulfills me more. That's why the fear of God is to learn to hate what he hates and love what he loves. That's how you know you're growing in the fear of God. When you're saying no to sin, because when you say no to sin, you're saying yes to him. And then when you, when you do have that moment and you said yes to this, or you caught yourself in your feelings or you had an emotional reaction or you went too far, you run back to him and say, Lord, my, I still need some work. Can you help me? Forgive me. I was like, yes, I got you. That's what it means to live in the fear of the Lord consistently. It is to take him serious. And we know how serious our God is. You can just look at the cross to see how serious he is. How serious is God to acknowledge for his name's sake, for his glory and our good. How serious is he? Look what he did on the cross. That should, we should never lose our awe and wonder that our king came down and was crucified for us. And you know what? I mean, let me, hopefully this bothers you. God didn't come and die on the cross because he needed you. He didn't come down on the cross to forgive us of our sins because he was so lonely. He needed you to fulfill him and make him whole. No, God didn't need you. He didn't need me. He didn't need any one of us. And so the fact that he did what he did, not because he needed to, but because he wanted to, 
because we needed him. He didn't need us. He, we needed him. And he did all of that because that is the God that we serve. That is the God that invites us to walk with him. And when we walk in the fear of the Lord, let me tell you, that sounds like it's a negative, but it's a positive. Because to walk in the fear of the Lord is to learn to walk in true freedom. Because where the spirit of the love of the Lord is, there is freedom in his name. And that is the invitation that he gives us. And we experience that the more we take him seriously, the more we walk in him, we take his word seriously, our walk with him seriously, because there is no one more significant than God himself. I'm going to challenge you, if you have yet to look at the fear of God, if that's something that's brand new to you, uh, keep on looking at, look for it, study it. Uh, for those of you that, again, you think you know, keep going because there's no depth to it. But in reality, you can really get caught up with a lot of stuff because it is such a big topic. It is really easy to get caught up with, you know, this and that and, and a lot of different information. But that's why I wanted to make sure you understood that the most important thing that we see that's consistent to Scripture is, again, that it just means that how serious you are. It just means that you really do believe that your faith is real, that you believe that God is real, that you really do believe that he died on the cross and rose from the dead and he had to die on the cross to pay for your sins because it was that serious. And you do believe that if Jesus didn't do it, you would spend an eternity in hell. And you really do believe that he loves you, that he is good, that he is a great God. That's where it starts. It is the beginning of wisdom because you're starting to think correctly you're starting to align yourself to again a revolutionary truth that an anchor to your soul that man i'm telling you that journey is an amazing one so i'm going to challenge you think of how how can you how can you find different ways to be able to take god seriously take the great commandment seriously to love others as god has loved you and to take the great commission seriously to be able to love others and be able to spread that message that there is a God. He's coming back. And now's the time. So I'm going to just leave you with that so you just can continue to linger and learn what it means to fear the Lord. And I pray that you may experience the freedom that is found when you learn to fear him.